Hello and welcome back to another episode of Under the Lights. This one is all about Saints. We're going to head to Kingston Corner. We're going to have some look back at some memories, ask each other some quickfire questions. And uh, yeah, if you want to listen to just a general chat between two massive Saints fans, then this is the place to be. My name is Tom Murray. My name is Callum Wilson and this is Under the Lights and we're off to Kingston Corner. Callum, you started supporting Saints, well, well, what was it, towards the end of the, the 90s? Yeah, I, start, I first went to uh, the Dow towards the end of the 90s. I was kind of a, a kid who just liked football, so I liked watching Saints with my dad, my local team. I liked Man United because they were winning everything and the treble and those European, the European Cup in 99 and all that sort of thing. I loved playing football at that time, but obviously going to the games, watching the Saints and after a few years, obviously lost that. Um, I grew out of that kind of Man United and Liverpool part and, uh, and realised that yeah, I've yeah, fallen in love with Slams, a football club, and, and going to those games. And then obviously St Mary's came about and yeah, have to look back since. You're, you're a little bit younger than me, so you're a bit, bit in, into, the, into the 2000s before you uh, started following them properly. Yeah, I never went to the Dow. My first game watching Saints well, was that 3-2 loss to Aston Villa in the, the relegation season in 2005. So it all started so well. Tunnel up, I thought, nah, this supporting lark is easy. And then, of course, it came back down with a bump when uh, Aston Villa made it 3-2 and it was just a case of, oh, well, what have I got myself into? I was, uh, my first game wasn't great either. Mine was uh, beginning of the season, 3-0 home loss to Leeds United when they were... Um when they were fairly useful all those years ago. So, uh, yeah, Dad took me there and I must have been thinking, oh, he's never going to want to come back again. I did, and uh, I think a good job he did as well because we've seen some fantastic games since. So more of those three nails, granted, but uh, <laughs> plenty more uh, plenty more positive ones. We are going to talk in this podcast just, just, a, bit of a, just a bit of fun, just uh, a, a few games um, ranking... Various things, players, managers, games, anything you can think of to do with uh, Southampton Football Club. Everyone's going to have their own opinion. You're welcome to give us yours um, in the comments. Obviously, we'll send this out via social media. Almost a, um, almost maybe a game of start, bench and release with uh, with three players um, or three managers like whatever we said we should come up with it off the cuff and see if me and Tom differ in our opinions of certain rankings and like we said if you if you think anything different to us then let us know let's start well, I'll start with one then Tom how about rank from so one that you would start one that you would have on the bench and one that you would have to release these uh, famous supporting strikers from Premier League era, days gone past. If you've got in your squad Shane Long, Jay Rodriguez and Brett Ormrod, who are you in in their in their prime? Not Brett Ormrod now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make that clear. <laughs> um, yeah, when when they were when they were supporting the BTs, the Pellas 
and the Lamberts of this world maybe getting through a hell of a lot of work and not quite getting the, the headlines as the main goal scorer, all doing their bits for Slamson. What are you ranking those three? Well, for me, it's that is a trick one. So it could peak Shane Long, sort of the 15, 16 season where he's, I think he got 11 goals or whatever, but he, he was in great form and it all, like, all started from that brilliant 4 0 win against Arsenal. But the season. Uh, a couple of seasons before, obviously, Rodriguez, before he got that injury, was absolutely unplayable. He was so, so good. He scored that fantastic goal against Fulham. And it's, 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 it's going to alter my answer, but because I didn't really ever see much of Ormrod, I'm afraid he's the one who's going to be released from my team. Shane Long, I'm going to have as the option off the bench because defenders are just scared uh, whenever he comes on because of just the amount of running... He does. He's like a Duracell bunny that's been that's had several red balls. He just does not stop. Uh, but for me, Jay Rodriguez in that peak season, he, he's the one starting for me. So quick, and uh, it was as a, as as a Saints fan, it was so painful to see him get injured because he was going to get into that World Cup squad. There was no doubt about it, and he he gone into that game on the back of that really good win against Newcastle, where I think he scored. He scored twice, and the one where he just megged the keeper right at the very end of the game, he was his confidence was sky high. So yeah, I'd have him in there. Who is who's starting for you, and who are you uh, going to throw throw to the waste bin? Uh, well, I'm going with Rodriguez as 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 the top support striker, the Premier League striker. I think he was, like you said, he was he was a cut above. He was a different kind of player to the other two um, in his prime when there was uh, him, Lalana. And Lambert with uh, maybe Stephen Davis or, or an informed Gaston Ramirez behind them. They're fantastic under Pochettino. Um, I remember him away at Fulham when I went to watch him at Craven Cottage and he scored that sublime goal into the top corner. And, and some days he actually scored more goals. He was our top, people forget he was our top goal scorer in that in that season. I think it was the 13-14 season when we had that all red kit. There, um, he, he actually outscored Lambert. Um, he was so good going into that World Cup. Probably a good job he didn't go because uh, Roy Hodgson in the game against Chile played him more as a he was, he was more of a left back than he was as an inside left forward. And, and England didn't have the greatest time of it. Maybe it could have changed things. But yeah, I think he technically he was better than the other two. I'm gonna differ to you in my rankings of two and three and I'll have Belrod on the bench and I'll have to release Shane Long because there are a lot of similarities I can draw between those two players in that they they were the the pacey ones next to BT and Lambert who actually were very similar as well. They were the big man, the ability to score from anywhere and all sorts of brilliant goals, great in the air. And then you had Shane Long, Ormerod off the last man, pace, but their biggest strength was how industrious they were and what they did without the ball. Ormerod's just more of a goal threat for me and it involved in that fairy tale season that just we just couldn't quite win that FA Cup in 2003. Um, and he was a massive part of that and almost scored in the final as well. So... Yeah, BT and Ormerod uh, is a partnership that I can't I can't ignore. And uh, one of my early early memories from some Marys watching those two play. Oh, sorry, Shane Long, you're uh, you're you're in the West bit. Oh, wow. Still got time though, Shane Long. He's still you know he's 33, and and I know his contract runs out soon. But if he gets another one, he could push himself up that 
that rankings. Well, one funny story I have about Shane Long is I don't normally take my mum to football matches, but we went as a family to the 4-0 win against Arsenal. And I'm sorry for anyone who was around us at the time, sat in the chapel stand, that my Shane Long got two goals in that game. And um, my mum shouted bravo to him both times. I was just like, oh, my God, I do. I, I'm not bringing you. What? You're saying bravo, bravo to Shane Long really, really loudly. Everyone's looking. God, mum. Second, <laughs> it's just like, this, is why we, this is why we can't have nice things. And um, second question for you. I'm not even going to put a third option with this one because it's a debate the Saints fans have had for quite a while. It was settled temporarily during Calvin Davis's testimonial at half time. You got a penalty. Ricky Lambert or Matt Letizier? Well, I wouldn't, I, that's not a bad decision to have to make that, is it? No, that's not, not like one bit. Like sort of Man City of last season where everyone was getting a go and they couldn't, couldn't hit the target. I'd, you'd have to go with Matt Letizier. I mean, he's he, he, both of them are fantastic, and you're choosing between two of the greatest penalty takers I've ever seen. But Letizia is renowned for being the best penalty taker the Premier League has ever seen, and like, I'm not sure how many Lambert took for Saints and how many of those were in the Premier League because you've, you've got to remember that as well the quality of goalkeeper that they both came up against. Letiz scored was the 47 out of 48. Premier League goalkeepers, and yeah, he was—he's a special talent. So yeah, that's that's who I'm backing. Who, who won the who won the competition and the testimonial? I think. Uh, Lambert won it because Letizia actually put one wide. I think it was like his second pen, and the whole the one one of the uh, the the chance that was happening during that uh, penalty shootout. Um, the Northern just started going. We're gonna be here all night. We're gonna be here all night. For me, I'm 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 choosing Lambert purely because well, for both of them, it's a guarantee. It's almost a, almost a guaranteed goal. You can start celebrating before the penalties even the ball's even been placed on the spot. Lambert just hit. I like Lambert's technique for the fact that he just pick a spot and hit it as hard as he could into that. Um, the goalkeepers dived so many times in the right direction, but the balls hit the back of the net before they've even started to make their dive. So I'm going to go for Lambert. And in answer to your question, it was 31 out of 31. I don't know how many exactly it was in the Premier League, but I get your point about how Letizia is putting these 47 out of 48 behind quality, uh, past keepers of a much higher quality, whereas Lambert's got a lot of his penalties against Championship and League One opposition. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm still gonna stick with Lambert because the ball hits the back of the net before the goalie's even moved, and I have never felt as nervous about a penalty as that one against Millwall in the Championship, where Lambert's actually slipped slightly as he's taken it, and it's just gone in away from the goalkeeper. That was an incredible hat trick, incredible comeback. But yeah, Lambert for me. Sorry, Matt. Yeah, he's a pressure penalty taker as well. I was going to mention that game. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I'm sure Malatese would have had some pressure penalties as well. But uh, Ricky Lambert, that one, like a, one, two against Millwall in the last five minutes, um, where Gooley tried to uh, tried to take it off him as well, um, as he often did. Um, okay, let's let's move away from players then. And let's say if you, as a Saints fan, could relive one of three days and let's say yeah you can relive one you can have one in your memory and you have to lose one so it never happened the JPT in 2010 at Wembley league one on promotion 
and championship promotion. Which one of those would you most like to replay and, and, and live the whole day again, do it again, which was most important? And then which one which one could you not have done without? But if you had to choose one not to have happened, which, which one would it have been the least important? It seems like an obvious answer in terms of the way to rank them. But I'm actually going to go deviate a little bit. And I'm going to actually put the one to completely forget about was the League One promotion. I love that season. I really, really did. But in terms of the memory of the actual day, cup final at Wembley, you don't, that's something that you don't get to experience very often. And yes, it's the Johnson's Paint Trophy, but it's a year. So it's nearly a year since, you know, Saints almost went out of existence. And to be at Wembley competing for a trophy, Saints haven't won, meant, haven't won much silverware. It's only their second um, trophy. And to be there on that day was absolutely, it, it was brilliant. I loved it. I went with my mate. I didn't expect to get tickets. I hadn't really been to any of the games. And then mum came came home and my mum said, like, look on the table, there's an envelope for you. And to pull out the Wembley tickets, it, I, I remember I'd had a really bad day at school. And just to open that up, you know, it, it seems like you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you, you can script. So uh, it, it, it was it was a brilliant day, and Saints won convincingly. And the and we had a nice chat with some Carlisle fans on the way to and from the game. They just admitted that they were beaten by the better team on the day because uh, there's such a golf and quality. To I mean, I remember a tweet that you put out uh, a couple of days ago about how. It, how unfair it was that Saints had that team in League One. Yeah, yeah. Give, give, give the other teams a chance. So obviously I'm going to keep the JPT as the one that I remember fondly, but to relive the entire day, to live the, relive the entire day, it's got to be the win against Coventry. It's got to be the promotion game to the Premier League. It's a party atmosphere as soon as... And, 1-0, you, you have that sense of relief, but to make it 2-0 so quickly after, you can start the party atmosphere, everyone willing Lambert to score, and it just didn't happen. Saints played scintillating football, and then obviously the pitch invasion at the end. I remember getting towards the tunnel and someone near me just screamed, I've got his boot, I've got Lalana's boot, before someone nicked it out of his hand. So, you know, short, a short-lived memory for him. I, lo- I love that day. And then, of course, all the excitement building up to the start of the Premier League from that day. What about you? Where... what? What would you rank where? The same, to be honest. I mean, when you said you think there's an obvious rank and you're going to deviate from it, well, I'm interested to know what you think the obvious ranking is. I would have thought the obvious ranking would be remember, relive Coventry, remember League One promotion and then disregard yeah. the JPT. Just, just in terms of importance for where the club is now, you know, winning a final and JPT is trophy. And it was nice. It was a great day, but didn't propel us anywhere uh, yeah, yeah i'd agree with that i think in hindsight it is it was the jpt final definitely was a catalyst for that pushing that promotion year you know it, it kept the feel good feel good about the club it showed that like you know saints are back they're on their way back up it was just the first step on many and i love the fact it, it, it would go in second for me just purely because you know it's a day out at wembley and how often do you get to experience that as a club as a fan of a club that doesn't get to finals on regular occasions so then what makes you think that that is the, the obvious answer to be the third best of those three? Because I think that the, the League One, it, it, at the end of it, it's a promotion. It's not something that Saints fans had experienced. I think it was for 33 years. So it's a, it's yeah. a promotion. Saints have got, an, got out of 
League One. They're back in the Championship. You know, it's the first time in a while that whilst that season of of rebuilding the first one in league one was really really good and it was an enjoyable season that one's actually shown that saints the promotion from league one shows that saints are actually on they are they've risen a league and it's the first like the journey on the way back up yeah i suppose the, the Wembley final may have been a catalyst and and a memorable day in the club's history but the other two firmly contributed to getting us back to the premier league and and you've got to remember that that League One promotion, without that League One promotion day, we wouldn't have had the same the, the, the Championship promotion day 12 months later. So uh, I think people tend to forget about the League One promotion because it was so quickly followed by an even bigger one, back-to-back promotions. So rarely, rarely, rarely does it happen in those two leagues. So they almost, they almost got combined into one year of, of a Saints fan's life. I would rank them the same as you. Um, the, the League One was fantastic, but it was expected. We were supposed to do that. JPT, just just for all the Saints fans that thought the club was going to go out of business, nothing had really gone Saints' way for years and administration and relegation and everything else. For their club to have been bought out and suddenly not just survive, but to be at a Wembley final and such a convincing win. But again, we were supposed to win that. But getting there was, the whole journey to getting there was fantastic. Penalty shootouts. Papalega. But you can't look away from the day that we made it back to, to where we belong. And and the main reason for, on, for the basis of my answer is that I can still, I still get a feeling when I think about that promotion day that I don't get with any of the other two in that list where there's that sort of rush and that excitement of of knowing that we're one game away from being back in the Premier League where we've been away from it for eight seasons. What you're saying there about the particular emotion you get, I get the exact same thing. It's the, it, for me, I don't know what if it's a specific point about that uh, in that match that you get that feeling. For me, it's got to be when Lalana scores the fourth goal, makes it 4-0 up. Saint, the, the commentary from Adam Blackmore, you know, Saints are steamrolling commentary now. They're going back up to the Premier League. I don't know what it is about that particular goal. I love watching all of them. I've watched those goals many, many, many times. But there's just something about the fourth one that you just get that sense of pride and happiness about. One question I've got about that championship season, just, do you, just going off from ranking really, really quickly, but... What, at what point in that season did you stop and think, hang on, we're going to go up again? Uh, about 1-0 against Coventry on the last day of the season. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I think, I think what, what's, what's actually similar in all three of those and does slightly take away from the day and the spectacle was that with all three, Southampton were strong favourites to win. We were strong favourites to beat Warsaw and do the job, and we did it convincingly. We were strong favourites against Carlisle at Wembley, and we did that convincingly. And we were strong favourites to beat Bottom Club Coventry, and we did that convincingly. So we we haven't had that that moment whereby we've won promotion or cup when maybe we shouldn't have, or it was like a dead heat. It was like a fifty-fifty flip of a coin. I thing is, the Saints were always in the top three and uh, we're in the top two more than I think I think they were in the top two more 
flops that season because if you remember, Reading were, were down in the bottom half of the table for a long time and then they went on a ridiculous run of form. West Ham were up there, but they were kind of fluttering a bit. And Saints, from the get-go, from that that first um, three wins, three or four wins on the trot, they were in the top two, and it was just about maintaining it. Um, and you did think that Saints might drop out. There are a couple of games along the way, i.e. Blackpool away in the March or April time where we lost and they were a promotion rival. They lost in the playoff final to West Ham. The the Reading game at home where we lost 3-1 and that was the kind of, whoever won that might win the league and that's how it ended up. Uh, but even even when we played Middlesbrough right towards the end of the season, we should have beaten them and oh, I think we lost 2-1. Still, you know, until we, until we got to the last day and it was in our hands and we had that goal difference and we were playing Coventry, that's when I knew we were up. But until that point, you just never, with Saints, it's just never that easy. Was it? it was really strange for me because the game before Coventry got Middlesbrough away, where basically we just needed one win from the last two to go up. We went one and up inside, I think it was like half a minute or something. Billy Sharp made it one nil. And for some, the, wherever I was watching it, I think, it, but I didn't watch the rest of that game. I saw the one nil and that was all I was able to see. I think I must have been out at the time which is madness. I, I mean, if you've listened to our previous podcast, you'll know that I didn't actually watch the Shane Long goal against Liverpool live. I potentially didn't watch Saints get promoted against Middlesbrough live. So I'm an absolutely terrible fan at the moment. I'm, I, I, I can't cut it for the big games. You know, you know what I vividly remember is that, and why I said we should have beat Middlesbrough, is because, we were, like you said, we won it up really early, Billy Sharp. And then I think within within 12 minutes, should have been 2-0. And uh, Lambert took it past someone on the left wing. I can't remember if we finished the attack and it was a disallowed goal or if it was just inevitably going to be a goal because Lambert was in. Um, but it was brought back because they judged that he had taken the ball out of play for a throw-in when he hadn't. And it was obviously he hadn't. And I thought that would have been 2-0. And that would have been... We would have won the league because Reading actually won the league because I think it was a late Saturday kickoff, and Reading won the league because we lost and, and obviously it meant that we weren't promoted I think we would have secured promotion so um, I remember that vividly but yeah coming back to the coming back to the, the rankings system before we go too far down memory lane to turn back again yeah I think with those three they're all special in their own rights but just I just remember I just remember standing on the pitch at St Mary's and looking up at the team and the big banner so then we are Premier League and everyone cheering the yeah the Premier League chant and just thinking it's it's been a long road and a long and difficult road back from when we got relegated in 2005 but actually we're back and we're going to be back on match of the day and we're going to have Man United and we're going to have Man City we're going to have Liverpool all down here and we've not just been promoted we've been promoted two seasons on the trot and it's just the first time in a long time where we've been on an upward trajectory and just just kind of sank in at that point that we're a Premier League club again and like even things like oh in the transfer market I can't wait to see who we go for and sort of those sorts of things um so yeah, that was that was special, and it's the reason why we're in the Premier League now. For the next ranking, going with that upward trajectory, we're both having 
trouble saying that word. And we're going to go for around that period of time and just a bit a, a bit higher as well. You've got three choices. You've got sack, interview, and reappoint. Adkins, Pochettino, and Ronald Koeman. Okay. What, like right now? Like where are we? Are we in the Premier League? Are we uh, paint the picture for me, Tom? And I'll tell you who's the best man for the job. <laughs> you know what? It doesn't matter. Pochettino, I'd have back um, immediately. And although you could, a point can be argued that Koeman actually got more points and got us higher in the Premier League, Pochettino, just what he's gone on to do, he's just the bigger name, probably the better manager. Um, exciting football. He he would be the number one choice, followed by Kuman. And then, despite back to back promotions, yeah, Adkins. Uh, I mean, I don't think he's got. Is he, is he even working now? I mean, since he left Southampton, it's unfortunately it hasn't really gone well for him. But Premier League experience isn't something that that big Nige is is uh, has got in his in his CV so I think yeah Pochettino would I'd reappoint I'd give Koeman an interview and I would uh, I'd ignore I'd leave Adkins off my list I'm afraid yeah I think sack is maybe too strong a term for Nigel Adkins I love that man and love what he did for for the club I think he is one of my his all-time favourite Saints manager because he, he had a lot of character, a lot of phrases, you know, everyone's on the bus, blue line drawn under it. And obviously he turned, the Pardew set the wheels in motion, but Adkins got us promoted and twice into and the Premier League and, and developed the players and made some good signings in the meantime as well. But I, th- I, I completely agree in terms of like pedigree and quality of manager, you've got to have Pochettino as the manager. Yeah. He didn't achieve as high a position as Koeman did, but then again, Koeman essentially had almost like a football the, a football manager's dream in terms of you've got pretty much a, a barren squad. You've got quite a lot to spend. You can buy players who you want to because at this point, prices for players were not extortionately high and you could build a good team. And Saints made some very good signings. I mean, the fact that they got Sadio Mane and Dusan Tadic for, I think it was combined total of 22 million or something like that is ridiculous but Pochettino I think with the the way that he developed the players obviously there was the whole hoo-ha when Adkins got sacked it was very Saints fans were very disappointed they didn't know who Pochettino was but then Pochettino's taken what Adkins has done and taken it to a completely different level he's got those players playing exciting brand of football which at that point we hadn't seen before and that first game against Everton was absolutely brilliant where it was kind of like this this is this is a decent style of football and then in the season after we we played brilliantly so i i, I go exactly the same pochettino i'd have as the manager interview kuman but well as much as i love i love nigel if there has to someone has to come bottom out of three and uh i think i put him, put him there as well sorry let's go down the route again of, of matches but instead of the ones that went the way we wanted them to let's go with the, the what if moments you got three options and you can only go back and have another crack at one of them you've got the FA Cup final 2003 Millennium Stadium against Arsenal you've got the Carabao Cup final against Man United under Claude Puel at Wembley and option three I'll leave option three open as any other but you've got to give your reasoning <laughs> underneath for extra marks so um, 
where you, you're going back to, it's not necessarily ranking, it's just choosing one. You get to go back and you get to have another crack at, at that game, just any one game. It could be a, it could even be a league game that maybe cost Saints. You know, it could be it could be it could be that relegation day against Man United. It could be a game where we maybe just missed out on Europe or you know, something like that. Maybe a game that was really maybe the start of um, a downward spiral. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut off the FA Cup final purely because I wasn't a fan at that time. I don't really know much about the emotions and they obviously have watched videos and watched the Epic Cup run towards it, but I don't have as much of an emotional attachment as yourself or other fans that went to that game. I I went to the Carabao Cup final, absolutely devastated because we put in such a good performance in the second half after what seemed to be going towards a routine win for Manchester United. And then to come back and then dominate in that second half and then I think it was a slip from Yoshida at the end and Ibrahimovic has headed it and won it. I was, I was absolutely gutting. The the moment that people want to change is to keep that linesman's flag down inside the first five minutes when Gabbiadini was clearly onside. But then you've got to argue if he puts us 1-0 up, then what happens to the rest of the game? Do Man United come back with a vengeance? Does Saints build on that lead? It's all lifts and butts. At the moment, that's the game that I would change, but I'm just trying to think of a third one, and I don't think it's as important, but if I was going to pick a third game, it would probably be the uh, the Bear-Shaver home game in the Europa League, where if we'd won that, then we would have gone then we would have gone through. And it would have been... Obviously, we might have got... They got Besiktas in the next round. I don't know why I remember that, but... So that would have been a really tricky fixture for Southampton. But it would just be, you know, it's, it's the if of like how far could we have gone in the competition if we'd just gotten through the group stage. But again, that that that's an if of what may have happened. Would We could have gone out in the first knockout round, whereas the Carabao Cup is an actual tangible cup final. And uh, I'd give Saints another crack of the whip at that. If they could start the game, how they started the second half, that would... Uh, yeah, I'd go for that. What What about you? What would What would you go for? Or would you go for a third option? Which was your top one? Then you go in Carabao Cup. I'm going to go for Carabao Cup just because whilst it would have been nice to get through to the knockout stages of Europe, of Europe we could have easily have just gotten knocked out in the first round. Whereas it's an actual fi- the Carabao Cup is an actual final where you win that, you win some silverware, and it's a fantastic day out at Wembley. Yeah, I think along a similar line, but I would have gone with that FA Cup in in 2003. Just to remember the whole. Season was was brilliant under Gordon Strachan. It's been such a long time since Saints got to a final. There was a real feel good factor. I love the squad at the time. At a time when I think the Premier League was at its best, and we were really competing. Uh, and you know, a, a disallowed goal from James Beattie. I never. I remember I was twelve. Yeah, I was twelve, nearly thirteen, and uh, I didn't even get the opportunity to celebrate an FA Cup goal like many others because I. Noticed the linesman put his flag up before James Beatty gave us the lead, and I almost thought, I wish I hadn't seen it, so I could have maybe tasted just for a few seconds um, that. But yeah, to, to have got an FA Cup against Arsenal, who that was the last game they played before, obviously, the unbeaten run. Uh, the invincible season, so they were an unbelievable team and and, um, and deserved to beat us on the day. Obviously, the Carabao Cup final as well. I'm, I'm purely basing it on the fact that I. I think the FA Cup is more prestigious than the Carabao Cup. It would have been great to beat Man United. Um, I was there for both of them, so that doesn't really come into my thinking. So, yeah, for that reason, I was, I was thinking, um, and I've just been scrolling through now to see, because Saints finished three points 
off of a Champions League place in 2016. I'm just thinking if there was maybe a one game where Saints could have maybe won it, and but then the goal difference was was a fair bit less than Man City, so we would have just been we would have been even tougher to take because we would have finished fifth and outside the top four just on goal difference. So that would have been even more difficult. But actually, I just had a look through, and apart from Leicester away, where West Morgan scored that goal, and obviously went on to win it in our final sort of 10 games we, we pretty much won it like every game it was the odd draw so there wasn't really much we could have done there otherwise if, if there was a game that would have meant that we could have Champions League football um, I would have put that random league game above both the cup finals I think because if we'd if we'd managed under Koeman to get into the into the Champions League then who knows where um, our fortunes would have gone from 2016. In fact, what happened is we, we qualified instead in sixth place for the Europa League, lost to Koeman because we couldn't get couldn't meet his ambition and get the players in, and ended up fighting against relegation a couple of seasons later. So that would have that's probably the the what if moment for me, just missing out on the Champions League. If you could have said win the FA Cup in 03, the League Cup. Um, under Claude Puel, just get in that fourth place for the chance of Champions League in 2016. I would have, I would have said the Champions League. It's um, a different question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For you, would you, would you have said it? I've been asked this question before by some mates. Like, would you rather win the FA Cup or qualify for one season than the Champions League? And I actually go for FA Cup every time because whilst the Champions League is, you know, it's the reward for an incredible season, the potential to play against the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. Although, you know, although Arsenal may consider fourth place to be worthy of a trophy, the FA Cup is an actual trophy, something that goes down in in your history books as that amazing day at, uh, day at Wembley. It, it, it's, it's my thing to know. I mean, that's that, exactly what you said there. It goes down in the history books. So we might uh, have a good memory of that day and, have, and watching our team lift the trophy. And we might go on the bus journey back in great spirits rather than being down or, or, or thinking, oh, what could have been. At the end of it, that's that. We've experienced the day. We've watched the match. We've had a great day. But at the end of it, we've won rather than we've lost with the Champions League. If we manage to finish fourth, then the anticipation for a club is different to Arsenal because they do it every season or did. But for a club like ourselves, could you imagine if we if you if you try and compare the jubilation at Wembley of having won that League Cup or the last day of the season having clinched Champions League football for the next year? And the idea of us signing these potential world-beater players to play in the Champions League and where it could take us and the opportunity to maybe grow as a club and with that win trophies or qualify for more Champions Leagues. But also, you'll just not be looking forward to who we're buying. I'll be looking forward to who the draw for the Champions League. You're looking forward to, to competing against in, in Europe's top competition rather than every now and again looking back and saying oh yeah remember that year when we won that cup underplaying the whole cup thing but it's it's instantly a thing of the past whereas the Champions League just opens up so much and maybe I'm maybe I'm um, being that guy who asks the genie his first wishes for three more wishes but if you get in the Champions League and you build as a club maybe qualify again you get better players and then maybe a few seasons down the line you win that FA Cup 
whilst I do still side with the FA Cup, it's a really difficult decision to make because obviously there are the positive. What what can then if you champion if, if you qualify for the Champions League, what positive things are going to happen as a knock on effect of that? So yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from. It's a really difficult decision for me. I think I still side with the FA Cup just because it's you know it, it it's silverware. We were so close, Tom. We were so close to the fourth place. Well, that was... Could you imagine Southampton in the Champions League? That would have been ridiculous. And then, yeah. Yeah, but imagine if also at the same time, I know it's all all hypothetical, Pella still goes off to China and then we're left to battle in the Champions League with (laughs) Charlie Charlie Austin up front. Uh, (laughs) I'm sure... uh, we go to we go yeah, to <laughs> go to go to the new camp and uh, Gerard Piquet and whoever was in uh, I think let's let's say Mascherano you know quaking and quaking at the knees of Charlie Austin lumbering into the penalty area just to get on the end of uh, Cuca Martina cross oh it's just uh... <laughs> going to another quick fire question now this one moment's about more like records so it's a choice of three of which record stays in the history books. Uh, and obviously then the two just get binned off, never happened. So first one is, I think Saints still hold this for the only hold this record for the only team to score five first-half goals and five second-half goals in one season. That was five against Sunderland in the second half and then five against Aston Villa in the first half. So that one, Sadio Mane's hat-trick, Shane Long, quickest goal. That was the uh, that was the season I'm talking about as well, Tom. That yeah. was that Champions League. So this the you know this is the kind of team we're talking about here. We would have beaten every record there was. We would have had Mane and Van Dijk and all these players in the Champions League. Oh, we could have been Liverpool. Um, anyway, we didn't have a Rigi though. No, no. Uh, right, I think the hat trick is the best of those. Mainly because I didn't. I don't think I even knew we had five five in the first half, five in the second half. I, didn't, I wasn't even aware. I don't think most fans, Saints fans or else, would know about that. Although it is, when you say that, it's quite an achievement. It's a massive achievement. Shane Long, quickest goal, was pretty cool. But, I mean, only lasts for six seconds. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, Mane's, Mane's just extraordinary. I, was, I, I think it was the anniversary of it not long ago because I saw a number of posts online about it. But, yeah, I remember, I remember the game. I remember watching it and just goal after goal after goal so quickly. I remember thinking, what the hell has happened here? Following the game and it, yeah, it's just gone within three minutes. He scored three goals. Ridiculous. Shane Long never got the credit that he deserved setting two of those up. But I'd go with that, yeah. So what am I ranking? The, the first one is... Oh, no, there's no, it's no ranking. It's just the, 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 the other two have been off. Just pick the one that stays in the history books. Man, I, man, I think that's the most impressive. I don't think I'll ever be beaten. No, it's it's, it's ridiculously fast. And just conti- for, for my own one, continuing the theme that as a Saints fan, I just don't witness these motion uh, these these moments. I didn't even see any of. I didn't see Long's goal, and I didn't see Mane's hat trick because I was watching the for the Mane hat trick. I was watching it in the uni bar, and they at the same time it was the playoffs, and they had Norwich against Ipswich on. And to be fair, that's you know, bit, it's a big game. It's a big game. But they did say that they were going to put the Saints Villa one on. So they said, yeah, we'll put it on at half time. At that point, my phone. At that point, my uh, my phone has buzzed, and I'm thinking, oh, cool, we're one 0 up. So and then they finally get the stream on. And it's just like that's a three up there, 
and I just check my phone and it's one of those where the notifications come in so quickly that it doesn't even buzz a separate time and it just said one, two, three and and people were just looking up the game and said, oh, three nil up. And then of course we made it four and then we made it five so quickly after. Uh, so that was that was incredible. The Shane Long goal. Can I just say, all right, I, I, I like the idea thinking of that, that, um, that someone might have gone downstairs to go to the toilet at nil nil, come upstairs and... Mane scored a hat trick in the time that they've, <laughs> they've managed to go to the toilet. <laughs> it's just, it's like, how long was I down there? It's taken me three minutes to go to the toilet, and that's fine. This guy's got a Premier League hat trick. I mean, how far away can I be? <laughs> in my achievements. <laughs> in my achievements. Like, where am I in life? I think I, the, the, the hat trick has got to go top for me, but the story I have about. Shane Long guys, that that's the time that had my the day that that game happened was the day that I had my operation a year ago. And when I was being brought round, one of the first things that I the first thing that I asked was what was the Southampton score because the game had finished by that time. And the really nice nurse uh, came by and said, like, "Oh, yeah, it finished one all, but Shane Long scored the quickest goal in Premier League history. He scored inside eight seconds." And I'm thinking, I must be on a serious level of drugs at the moment because I just heard someone say Shane Logg scored inside eight seconds. And he said, I know it's really, and I was like, wow, when did Watford score? Right right at the very end. I was like, oh, that's a bit of a downer. But we do have the, we do, we held the record for that for quite a bit. Cause I, know, I know Ledley King had it, but I think James Beats had it before that because he, uh, he scored at Stamford Bridge. 2003 in like 12 and a half seconds so yeah Saints do have an unerring amount of records in the past that people don't know about um, with the kings of yeah, obscure stats yes or the Ledley kings of obscure stats hey oh, yeah I, I will rank the hat trick as top because it's an incredible feat there is an element of luck with the Shane Long goal that he has done well to charge the ball down and it's just one of those where for one the one time out of a hundred that it's hit your foot and not ballooned straight back to the keeper or off to the right or left it's actually being controlled perfectly to just run through a goal it's a great finish but say Amane to score that hat-trick in such a short space of time that game against Villa was just brilliant I mean again another another one in that game Shane Long scoring from 35 yards absolute perler into the top corner fellow Irishman okay here's one for you then Saints renowned for having sold a plethora of world elite talent something a record that we're perhaps not so happy with <laughs> um, if you get to choose one of these three players to have never left the club when they did you can keep hold of Virgil van Dijk Sadio Mane or Gareth Bale mm. what you do and the difficulty with this one is that Bale was when we when we let Bale go I think he was only 18 may even been 17 I think yeah. it was seven. I think it was seven. Oh, that's a really tricky one. Like, do we can we do we keep if we if it was Bale, do we keep on using him as a left back, or do we put him forward as like the 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 support striker that he became? Uh, how underutilized he was. I think it was inevitable, wasn't it? I mean, he, you know, his main strength at left back was going forward, as, as Saints fans will remember. Who going? I think it's actually a really quick decision for me, but considering our situations at the time. Van Dyke didn't really want to be here at the end. Massive, massive talent, but you could. It, it, it did seem like in a really in for a team that was fighting towards at the very bottom of the table that weight was not being pulled. But 
I think if we kept Mane in the time that we did, because obviously we qualified for the group stage of the Europa League, if we kept him for that European season, then that could have made the group stage even more exciting. We may have actually gone and beaten Inter Milan at the San Siro. We probably would have beaten Bear Shaver at least one of the times. Um, and if he had stayed at that time, then if, if he had stayed at that time, then the players around him, the players that we could bring in um, to complement him at that time, would have made that season under Puel. We might have even won the cup if we kept Sadio Mane, but all lifts and buts. Who, who, who are you keeping in the side? So, so, so how are you ranking that three then? You, you put I'm, Mane ahead of Bale. I'm going to put. I'm going to have Van Dijk at the bottom, which is probably going to get a few oohs and ahs from people thinking this is this guy's, you know, one of the best players in the world. Why are you putting him behind Gareth Bale? Because I really like Bale. Uh, he was the first name and number I had on the back of a shirt, so that's why. Twenty-two. My mum bought it for my birthday, and apparently the person that the club was it, was, it, was it the home one or that black one with the red sleeve? Uh, I went for the home one. It was a birth. It was a birthday yeah. present, and apparently my mum, because my my birthday's tw- in April, so towards the end of the season. Apparently, when she bought it, someone said, to her, "Are you sure you want to get that? It's going to be out of date pretty quickly." And then Manny at the top because he's a fantastic player, and uh, it would be really exciting to have him in a Saints shirt going into the Europa League. I don't know what I want, you know, because I'm pretty. I'd be pretty happy with any of them. Thing is, you, you tend to go for an attacking player because you think, well, those are the ones that can win you games. But the difference that Van Dijk has made to Liverpool by stepping in there, and actually, he's probably the player that we've never replaced. We were defensively strong until he left. But just what Gareth Bale's gone on to do, winning Champions Leagues and scoring those goals and being the player that he became, having come through our academy, I think I, I think I would have liked to have kept Bale, especially considering that we, we sold him and then went from playoff heartbreak to last day survival, followed by administration and relegation in the next two seasons <laughs> I think yeah I think Gareth Bale might have been the person to stop all of that and then go on to do what he's done yeah, he could have been scoring in the final Champions League for us going on to from that memory I hadn't actually clocked until recently that we actually had a partnership in the early League One days of Lambert and Saganowski I thought the guy had left in the summer I didn't realise that he actually played for a few of the first games because he was he played brilliantly in the end of that 06-07 season and then just did not recreate it at all he got his permanent move and then it sort of went downhill yeah, from there I remember yeah he did he did hang around for a bit didn't he he did I, I do remember because we had um, just before Lambert came in we could barely field I don't think we had enough for a full squad when we started that season on minus 10 we had Saganowski was still there on somehow our number 4 up front and him and Matt Patterson were, was, was our, our strike partnership lethal um, yeah those are the days you can have a, you can build a, a, an elite front three with uh, out of form Saganowski Matt Patterson and Lee Holmes who probably has some sort of injury oh what a lethal front three in any division which of those three that should be the question. Which of those three are you, are you wishing you you kept hold of? <laughs> right, let's do let's do some let's do some quick fire ones off the top of our heads. Then right, top three, top three. Well, apart from Van Dyke, if you could have kept one of these three centre backs in the Premier League, who would you have kept? Olderberg, Lovren, Front. I'm gonna go for 
for font because he perf- he managed to build a really sensational partnership with all three that he uh, he he was with. I'm surprised that Hoyveld wasn't mentioned because if the game's on a Tuesday night, then you have a guaranteed goal if you have Hoyveld in that team. And um, big yoffs. I'll go with uh, I'll go with Toby. I'll go with all around. Um, because he's just the best player of the three. He was fantastic on the ball as well. And uh, I can't believe we didn't. I can't believe we cocked that up. And we didn't. We had first. We had him on loan. We had first dibs on them monumental balls up on our part. But we would have just sold him and, and made forty odd million the next season anyway. So another quick fire question to go with. Okay, rank these three goals in. Well, just ranking one to three. Uh, Martina against Arsenal, Lambert versus MK Dons, the volley from the halfway line, because we scored so many against MK Dons. They must have hated us in the, They must have hated us in League One. Just I think it, remember in League One with three one. Everyone did. Yes every, every game we won three one. Okay, um Martina against Arsenal, Lambert versus MK Dons, and we'll go for David Connolly against Middlesbrough. Oh, you know I like that David Connolly goal. Um, I'm going for I'm going for Martina top because uh, it was just ridiculous and um, it was ridiculous that Luca Martina did it as well <laughs> because I did not rate that player whatsoever. I don't know how we managed to make it into the Premier League, but yeah, you don't have too many goals like that, and the fact that he's come onto that uh, and outside the boot curled it unpopular. Opinion, but I actually prefer Hoiberg's goal. Um, like it's Brighton's right. goal. So I was similar. I had I had a similar unpopular opinion in the 2018 World Cup, where I actually thought that uh, Nacho's goal against Portugal for Spain was better than Pavard's. You know, uh, yeah. very very similar, very similar comparisons. So Pavard and and Martina were very much sort of outside of the boot curl loft whereas um, where it's just a pure strike just as the ball kind of settled almost on the half volley just to settle on the floor Hoiberg and, and Nacho I thought the technique was just better to just drill it and slice it into the bottom corner and they also had that bit of bend they, they are all fantastic oh, the Nacho one is fantastic just at the moment that the match was going like it was just end to end so much quality but let's face it Pavard Nacho they're not fit even to lace Martinez boots are they <laughs> I'm still having a Hoiberg one above Martina, but yeah, just because of the whole hysteria around it. And I think, I mean, Lambert's was fantastic because only Ricky Lambert would have tried that. And uh, I love that David Connolly goal because it was like so many passes. I can't remember how many there were now. But I think I put something on Twitter about, yeah, I I think I... Saints put something out recently with a load of team goals. That one, the Chelsea one where Redmond, I think, scored the Chelsea one. Season just gone, Christmas time. They the team goals. And um, Connolly did not, his goal did not get the, the praise, the credit it deserves. I think they were probably just a load of youngsters voting on that. You didn't even know David Connolly was. But we still occasionally see him down at St Mary's. I mean, in the, in the press yeah. room, he's down there doing doing his thing with whoever, whichever media outlet he's down there with. But yeah, yeah. Martina Top. I know, I know we're alternating, but one question that's actually come into my mind, just a bit of a, a, bit of a joke question, but there's been an injury to one of your players, you've only for some reason for for some reason you've only got three subs on the bench. It's a, it's an injury crisis. You can only bring on one of these players to help your team: Ben Reeves, Steve Derrida, or Jonathan Fort. Which one are you just going to have to suck it up and bring it on? 
I am bringing on John O'Quick because he is guaranteed goals, just for what he did against MK Dons once again. MK Dons. Just when Lambert and Barnard and Alana can't do it, you bring on the, another top three golden boot. Yeah, he's always, he's always up there. He's a bit of a Scunthorpe. You just thought, you know what? We haven't got enough strikers. Let's go and take Scunthorpe's top goal scorer, one of the best goal scorers in League One, and just let him rot in our reserves. But we'll pay the money for him because it'll be it'll be worth it when he gets us those two goals in that one game against MK Dons. MK Dons must they must be our, the, uh, we must be their most hated club aside from Wimbledon. Wimbledon, yeah. I mean, ben Reeves isn't Ben Reeves stays on the bench. Are they? I'm not even telling Ben Reeves to warm up because Reeves, you're not you're not the man for the job here. Steve Derrida, he'd be warming up and it would be looking between him and John O'Four, but. You just know that the crowd would rise off their off their seats at the image of Steve Derrida and full kit getting ready. Number thirty three comes up on the board. The chance of Steve emanate around St Mary's, and then he runs down the right wing past a player as the ball rolls out for a goal kick, and you soon realise <laughs> you soon realise that you brought the wrong player on, and you maybe should have gone for John O'Farrell. Don't forget the ball. Don't forget that the ball hasn't hasn't gone out of uh, play because he's gone too quick. It's because he's hit his standing foot as he's gone to cross it. (laughs) (laughs) Just as he's gone to cross it with his right, he's toe poked it with his left and fallen on his ass. Fun fact, actually, I was I was there for that goal at Reading. Steve Derrida, like the only thing he did when we signed him, and we were all so excited that that equaliser away at Reading when it hit the crossbar and went in. I was up there for that. Couldn't believe that A, we'd got away with a point, and B, that Steve Derrida was the man to have scored it, and I got to witness it. I thought you were going to go down a slightly different route when I heard the question, because I was trying to think of um, something similar not long ago. But you've got um, three players. One of them you've got to you've got to start. One of them you've got to bench, and one of them you've got to release. You've got Gaston Ramirez. You've just signed for a record fee. You've got Pablo Osvaldo. Osvaldo, he's just he's just signed as as one of these players that we think is going to take us to the next level and and uh, rock star, football star, <laughs> martial arts star, and then there, and then and then of course you've got George Ware's cousin Ali Dea. <laughs> what are you doing with those three? Have you got them on your books? Well, obviously, with the kind of pedigree that George Weir's cousin has, and you got to, you got to start him. He's the one who's, he's, he's going on the pitch. Don't forget that Danny Osvaldo, as to add to his repertoire of what else he can do, obviously a Jack Sparrow lookalike. So he, as long as when he's on the bench, we don't have Fonte on the bench at the same time, because then that could, you know, they could both be sent off before they've even made it onto the pitch. Ben Reeves will be there, though. We know Ben Reeves will be on the bench. we established that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ben... <laughs> ben He's just he's just there, sat quietly. So please don't hit me. Um, Got a blanket on his legs because he'd never used. Oh no 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 the, no the blanket they have to share between him and Tommy Forecast. Tommy Forecast. I'm going to put Ramirez uh, actually starting just because he actually has some consistent quality. He's just consistently inconsistent. So that that'll do. He'll there will be some sort of flick or trick that he'll pull off because he did score some absolute bangers. That one against Everton where he just. I've never understood that celebration against Everton. He scored an equaliser, an absolute 
belter of a goal into the top corner. And then he's taken his shirt off and handed it one to the Ev- handed it to one of the Everton supporters. So it's just to rub it in even more. It's just like, yeah, I'm just equalised against your team in like the last 10 minutes. Here, have my shirt. Yeah. Can, I, can I have it back though? Because I need to play the rest of this game. It's just like, didn't think that one through. And now my hairbands come off and I look ridiculous. That's like awful hair. Came back that game after not being in the squad for ages, might have been injured, came back, I was like, what's he done with his hair? You know, you've got to be a player for that, Alice Brandon. I remember later on in the season, he only did it for one game, and I think there's a good reason why he only did it for one game, because it was absolutely shocking. He had cornrows for one game. <laughs> I remember him coming on the pitch and just thinking, is that Gaston? That, 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 can't, be, that can't be Gaston. Don't you sign him? I mean, the, the obvious answer is to have Osvaldo on the bench and Ali Dyer are absolutely nowhere near a football pitch. But I'm going to, I mean, they're, they're similar. They both are incredibly unpredictable. They could be good. They could be an absolute nutcase. They could be sensible. Ali Dyer on the bench. Osvaldo nowhere to be seen. Hey, Osvaldo still scored one of the best goals I've ever seen live. That was a ridiculous goal. I said to my mate at the time, like, I've just seen the best ever goal. And I still stand by it. So good. How? Because Pantillamon is like, he's like 12 feet high and he still managed to bend it over him. That's a massive statement. You <laughs> <laughs> just claimed that you've got who you're releasing so that you can fit Ali Dyer on your bench is the score of the best goal you've ever seen, ever. <laughs> In any form. Uh, I'm gonna have to backtrack here, aren't I? Now I'm gonna step on. I'm gonna. I'm gonna step on my guns. We're, um, I've got to say, I think Ali Dear's done a disservice. I don't think he was that bad off the bench. You know, he always scored. Can you imagine if he'd scored? Yeah. He put him down the right wing, didn't he? He's obviously pretty pacey. He had a shirt that was five times too big for him, so he'd probably even quicker if he had a shirt that was tucked in. And he almost bloody scored. Could you imagine? <laughs> He'd have more. He'd have more goal contributions in a season than uh, Jesse Lingard. He would. He would. All right, let's go. Um... I've got one for you. So my last, my last question to you is going to be: Who on the right hand side of these three players do you want whipping in a ball for Ricky Lambert to head in? James Ward-Prowse, Danny Butterfield, or I mean, Lalana was pretty good at whipping in a ball sometime, although his corners were consistently atrocious. So I've completely. <laughs> Are we just using players that played with Lambert or played for Saints? But oh, yeah, like, that's a good point. Tadic would be in there, though. Oh, yeah, Tadic would completely put it on there. And, and I he... never played together. I never played together. I wish they had. Lambert just, you know... You know what? I'm, I'm going under... I'm going secret door number four, and I'm going to throw a name into you that probably crossed in more balls for Ricky Lambert to head home than, than anyone. And that is Fraser Richardson. That man would get down that line on that overlap and cross in balls for Ricky Lambert like no one's business. But Ricky Lambert dreams of having a Fraser Richardson on that right wing. When he was at the, when he was trying to score at the cop, he looks over and saw the likes of whatever dross they had, Barini and those sorts of players crossing the ball in. I bet he's thinking, bloody hell, where's Fraser when we need him? <laughs> We probably thought that many, many times. Of course, Fraser Richardson, I remember, being built like an absolute tank and with just like speed down, uh, speed down the right. I think if you want an attacking fullback to get to that byline and pull it back, then Richardson. But then um, I think Lambert himself said that like Butterfield was one of the best crosses he's ever dealt with. I mean, what I like about Butterfield is he could do it from a standing start. 
He could have the ball just a couple of centimetres in front of him, but still managed to hit a 30-yard curler towards the back post. It's a difficult one. I really like Richardson. I, I, I really wanted it to work for him in the Premier League, but injury... He got he finally got in the team because I think Danny Fox... He, Danny Fox had had such a bad game that Adkins was just like, look, Fraser, you're playing at left-back. Okay, we're just going to move you. We're going to just move you there. Yeah, we, signed, we signed Klein, didn't we? We got Klein on a bargain. You don't turn that He's, down. One of those players that you had to, we had to evolve to a Premier League level because two seasons ago we were League One. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to bring in better players. And Troy and Gaston Ramirez. That worked out. Oh, that worked out so well. He was amazing against Aston Villa. It was one of the best individual performances I've actually seen from a Saints player because everything he touched was fantastic. And then it just sort of went downhill, and it just did not work out to the point where the season fizzled out when he elbowed Shane Long at that time in West Brom in the face, and then he was just out for the rest of the season and that was that was Gaston that was him done oh that that was my final question what's what what's your final question I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think I'm going to throw three volleys at you then I might be missing some out but I've, I've just tried to wrap my brains now the Ricky Lambert volley on us off the bounce with the volley against MK Dons as you've mentioned the Rory Delap half overhead kick half volley against Spurs Back in the Premier League heyday, I'll tell you what, there's probably a few Matthews volleys in there now if you go back further. But for, for option three, I'm going to discard the Matthews ones and go with Virginie of Sunderland. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the best volley that Samaritan's ever seen. Oh, I'm going to go for, it's got to be Virginie. I mean, it's, it's a brilliant finish. He's, he's put it, the goalkeeper's not even moved. He put it bang in the bottom corner. And it was all right for him, though. Like the the rest of the game didn't plan out to be so bad, so you know it wasn't a sign of things to come. Um, the start of the demise, wasn't it? Yeah, I think in the end, I think Sunderland scored three own goals in that game. They took the one away from Mane. Yeah, but oh yeah, yeah. For me, you got to have the lap pretty much at the top because you don't expect that from someone of his build and what he's renowned for. Just to suddenly decide, yeah, I'm, just, I'm going for the overhead kick. I'm just going to bang it straight into the top corner. Lambert is a controlled, good, a good controlled finish, and Virginie is just well, Virginie's god tier, but um, Delap is uh, is fantastic. I'm trying to. Okay, this isn't a this isn't a ranking. I think, I think Virginie is up there with Wayne Rooney versus Newcastle and Paul Scholes versus Aston Villa. I think that's the kind of volley we're looking at here. I, I, I take it to another level, mate, and I'd say that this is Virginie Zidane in the Champions League final would have been happy with that with, with that strike from Virginie. I mean, he's, he's almost toe-punt volleyed it into the bottom corner. I mean, no, Zidane, Zidane could only hope to recreate that goal. You've got to find... <laughs> I don't know many volleys in history that can, uh, can rival Zidane's, maybe a Van Basten, but Virginie is, uh, is leading the line. Sure. One question that I had just before before we end for uh, it's not a ranking question, but I don't know if you remember it, so we can uh, we can cut it out if you don't. But what do you think was going through Oscar Gerben's mind when he decided to do that aerial kung fu <laughs> kick <laughs> against <laughs> Portman? <laughs> You said, oh, if you don't remember, we'll just edit it out. Because <laughs> I remember before you even said anything. The only thing Oscar has ever contributed to Southampton Club was that. Um, I don't know. I mean, Oscar Gerben was was a very tall, very lanky 
had a lot of limbs and one day he just lost control of all four of them at the same time <laughs> and um, and the poor local we come hurtling at had to pay the price I, I was um i was going to ask you actually a question but no rankings an act a, a proper question actually what was your favorite game to have ever been to and, and i mean like a proper football match not like a an 8-0 trouncing of Sunderland or like an actual contest, like a, a game that had everything. Um, I suppose it doesn't have to involve Saints, but you remember you remember watching or, or preferably Saints haven't been at the ground with this being a Saints podcast. Yeah, the one that stands out for me immediately is got to be the comeback against MK Johns. I mean, Jonathan Thor, what a man. Jonathan Thor, I... <laughs> I don't know what was going through my head, but on the way back, I was t- chatting to my friend. It's just like, wow. I love the way that we got back into that game with that wonder volley from Jonathan Fort. And then I look back on the replay and he's actually like four yards out and he's just tapped it in the bottom corner. But um, it should have been your answer for the, uh, it should have been, it wasn't Virginia, it wasn't the lamp, it wasn't Lambert, it was July Fort. Yeah, but he can't win everything, can he? Otherwise he'd be the club, he'd be the club legend. He'd be, he'd be even more <laughs> of a... Exactly. exactly. Now, when 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 Barnard scored that goal to turn it around to three two, it was just absolute delirium, and it was such a good game. It was a really good game to be at because, you know, Saints seemed dead and buried. It just wasn't going to be their day. It was going to be, you know, a hiccup or potential a promotion charge derailment. When I think MK Don's second goal was, you know, a classic. Calvin Davis beaten at his near post. No one thought it was in until it actually just crept past him. So at that point, you're thinking, oh, well, this game's a write-off. And then we bring on Jonathan Fort, managerial masterstroke, two goals in a minute. Don't think he actually touched the ball for the rest of the game, but that was, that, that, that didn't matter. He didn't need to. He already had the stat- the, stat- the statue was already being uh, built outside the ground. What about you? You mentioned Calvin Davis. Uh, I um, I've thought a couple of times since your question, but I haven't bothered saying it because it was so long ago. But that that performance against Leeds was one of the, probably one of the moments where I thought, you know what, uh, we might actually get promoted this season. This might be, you know, when you th- you're asking the question of when did you think it was going to happen, I wasn't convinced it was going to happen until the last game. But I, that, at that point, I thought, you know what, we've uh, the fact that we've managed to win this game somehow that we've got a chance here and maybe the time that we beat West Ham at home with one of those Tuesday night goals from Jos big hollow out but yeah sorry what's my question the best game the best game I've ever I've ever been to is and and sadistically one of my favourite seasons was the season we got relegated from the Premier League and I don't know why I know I which one liked... I know exactly what game it is now without you I liked I liked that team I liked Crouch, Phillips, Henri Kamara up front. And we got sort of Jamie Redknapp and, and, and Harry Redknapp was at the helm. The only problem was that defensively we were abysmal. <laughs> some of the some of the dross we had at the back there. But Darren Kenton, Yelly Van Dam, Jakobsen was awful. Don't forget the legend that is Callum Davenport. Oh, exactly. Yeah, one of those Redknapp signings late on. We've got Olivier Bernard in. He was quite good, actually. But, yeah, the game against Norwich, the 4-3, was... I had a season ticket that season, and every game, every win, just meant more, because there weren't many of them. 
and we were struggling for points and we were in the bottom three and two of our last three games were against Norwich and Palace and then obviously that infamous Man United game and uh, and there were two six-pointers and that game I think I think it was like three all at half time we, they went one nil up we went two one up they went three two up three all and it was all happening in the first half and obviously at half time everyone both teams went right we need to shore it up at the back so then it was nil nil for like the whole of the second half and then Henri Kamara just scores like two minutes from time right in front of me chapel end throws off a shirt absolutely chiseled underneath <laughs> you're just like yes Henri Kamara well that's generally signed as like great goal bottom corner and that that was uh, that that game was just had everything end of the season two teams battling it out to survive in the Premier League seven goals to a quality game quality if you can find that 90 minutes or extended highlights even online definitely worth a watch yeah I, I, whenever it's, whenever I look for highlights of that game all I can find is the actual Kamara winner on YouTube but Callum we've uh, we started recording this podcast with the aim of it just being some quick fire questions maybe half an hour maximum we're now getting close to an hour and a half just chatting about Saints obviously we've gone off at a tangent there's been some good memories about some truly fantastic players the likes of Ben Reeves Steve Derrida I've only just remembered a loney we had in League One Nicholas Bignall what a player that man was Oh, and uh, uh, don't forget Danny and Gesson. And uh, so with that in mind, we hope that you have enjoyed this uh, extended episode of Under the Lights. We have stayed in Kings and Corner for a lot longer than we anticipated, but we've had a lot of laughs. It's been a really good fun. I've ambled for many an hour. I'm just thinking if we'd, we could have filled an entire AD commentary with this chat that we've just been having <laughs> full 90 minutes I'll tell you what though it's always good to talk Saints and we, we know we've got some Saints listeners and some Saints fans on Twitter so um, there we, we've come up with all sorts of topics all sorts of rankings and if there's any other ones we'll be happy to do another one but if you've got your own ranking questions or you've just likes one of the many subjects that we've gone on tangent to talk about and you think oh yeah don't forget this don't forget that there might be a volley that you think's better than Virginie's there might be a, a where were you when John O'Fort scored that double against MK Dons now these kinds of questions need answering so um, yeah get, get in the comments and if there's any other rankings you want to hear if you can remember when uh, I thought I said I thought Brett Ormerod was better than Shane Long all the way at the beginning of this podcast and you think otherwise. <laughs> get, get in the comments. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, get in the comments if you uh, still can't understand the fact that the guy who scored what I think is the greatest goal ever, categorically, uh, doesn't even get on the bench in place of Ali Dyer, then uh, please... My Twitter handle is, is at T214Murray. Send all your abuse in that direction. Yeah, mine's at CallumWilson21. Um, you can tweet me as well if you want, but I probably won't reply. <laughs> <laughs> too, too, too busy. Too busy at the shrine of, um, of Ben Reeves. But thank you very much for listening. This has been Under the Lights. You can find us on Twitter at under underscore saints. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode. It's been really good fun. Till next time, stay safe. Thanks for listening.